Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR and Uprise Radio are produced on the lands of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded, Australia is a crime scene, and we live and work on stolen lands. We stand in solidarity with Wurundjeri elders past and present, and all First Nations people in their resistance against the settler colonial state. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Uprise Radio. And on this week's show, well, when Jackson and I were on Breakfast Radio, we we had actually received quite a few complaints that we talked about footy too much on um, a politics show. But this week we've managed to combine the two by talking about women's sport, about the COVID-19 pandemic. And I guess, you know, just looking at, you know, how these things are intersecting and particularly, you know, we've seen obviously the AFL, but, you know, sport across the world, particularly men's sport, has been able to shine all through the pandemic, uh, you know, with exemptions by governments across the world. Yet many uh, women's sports have really been left behind. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's a topic that's not really, I would say, being covered enough in the mainstream media. And we're lucky to have a guest with us today, uh, freelance sports journalist, Marnie Vanell. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, a topic I'm more than happy to talk widely about. So I think, um, you know, I guess we've got, there's a lot of kind of issues to cover, um, you know, from the the whole kind of sports um issues and, and, you know, how kind of gender and kind of intersects within that. You know, I guess just to start with, you know, what has your kind of view been and how have you kind of seen, you know, I think a few of us here are um, AFL fans and, you know, we're coming up to the AFL men's grand final and that's exciting. But, you know, we haven't really been able to see the women's game flourish in the same way. Obviously, you know, recently we had the AFL W draft, but, you know, I think there's still going to be a lot of kind of issues to unpack, which we can do a bit of in this show around that. You know, how, how are you kind of seeing the landscape at the moment? Yeah. Um, so I think that the pandemic has really just shone a light and exaggerated inequalities that were already there and a lot of preconceived notions that were already there. Um, especially in Australia, we treat men's sport as the priority and as kind of like a given right um, and women's as side projects or you're like oh we'll invest that you know um we're progressive and but um the pandemic has really shown where priorities do lie um yeah we've heard a lot uh, during the pandemic from men's sports clubs about them having to make do with smaller budgets but even before the pandemic began like I'm aware that for example the Collingwood Uh, women's team essentially was just told to use the existing uh, support infrastructure of the men's team like the media and comms team and the well-being team and the physio team you know it was just use the existing resources to service these two new teams the Collingwood netball team and the Collingwood football team and that was pre-pandemic so we hear all the time about this incredible growth that happened in women's football but you know they 
in women's football, which is the one I know best, they haven't been remunerated properly. They haven't had the same support structures around them even before the pandemic. How hard is it, you know, in your when you talk to uh, women involved in women's sport, professional women's sport, how hard is it to get funding at the moment, even for things like hotel quarantine or the crazy travel schedule that's having to happen? Yeah, one statistic that I find very interesting, and this is from back 2016 to kind of like set the picture, but like a whole club was given the amount of money that one, like the average male player salary. Like that is wild to me. And so the pandemic really just also exaggerated that where like the funding was just sliced across the board in the AFL system, but it really impacted the women's league. I mean, in 2020, the AFLW season was cut where the AFLM season was put in hubs. It cost $60 million to relocate the AFL teams all to Queensland, while in the AFLW it was just too hard to make it safe for them to play. And when it comes to slicing funding, I mean, a lot of behind-the-scenes roles were cut so like women that were in communications roles resources when it comes to coaching and administration where in the men's it's like well we can't afford to lose these people because they're integral to the game but I guess aren't seen integral to the women's game um, in the AFL system's eyes so women are already doing it so tough when it comes to funding I mean they're part-time wages but it's a full-time job and I think that that's also across the uh, NRLW so the men's even just uh, 10 seasons before 10 seasons 10 days before um, their pre-season was supposed to start um, for the competition that was supposed to start in October so next month it was cut these women have had to make like take leave from their jobs they've had to find ways for their family to reflect a um, afford for them to go and play this game it's so expensive for them to play and then when you cut it 10 days before it's supposed to start and it's just it doesn't compare to the way that the men's is treated I think you know one of the arguments that we kind of hear since that AFLW has come about and you know many people not just sports fans but you know I guess um social commentators in general have been calling for, you know, that wage gap to, to stop. I mean, obviously, you know, throughout COVID, we've seen the gender wage gap increase in general in society, let alone, you know, what the, like you said about the kind of gap that exists in the AFL sport. But we've been told by the AFL administration that, you know, the women's sport, uh, women, the, the women's game doesn't make enough money to kind of justify that. And I think a really good example is thinking about Cricket Australia and, you know, a really long time ago now, they professionalised the women's game and paid the um, women, not the same as men, but they paid them enough that they could commit full time to become um, professional cricketers. And we've seen, you know, what that's done. The Australian women's cricket team is, you know, by far way out ahead of all of the other teams and is clearly a much better, more successful and better to watch than the men's team. You know, I think if we can, you know, and a lot of those um, players uh, since the, you know, the World Cup kind of last year at the MCG, you know, that was kind of just before everything kind of went crazy with COVID, you know, that was a magnificent event at the MCG. And a lot of those players, you know, become kind of household names. 
Do you think that's a that's a model that the AFL should be looking at? That you know that they need to just pay and that the the sport, the players will catch up? Yes, 100%. I think that AFLW has proven that there's an audience there. I mean, for the season just gone, they before COVID restrictions were in place, they were selling out games. And, I mean, yes, they were charging only $10 a ticket. So charge more. Like, if the demand is there, just charge more for it. It doesn't make sense not to. You're pulling in the numbers. People are watching it on TV screens. There's no reason to not invest more funding. It's so cyclical that, you know, you don't pay these players enough. Therefore, they don't have the resources to train to the high quality that the men is are afforded. Therefore, the game's not as good as the men's. Therefore, um, it's this, you know, argument of, well, it's not good enough. And that just doesn't make any sense. Like if you put the money in, everything you were saying, you know, like if you put the money in, they will they've they've already proven there's an audience and that will just grow and then that'll bring in revenue it doesn't make any sense economically not to do it i mean the fans are there the community wants it the players want it it just makes sense so yes i would definitely say pay them full time it is an investment that will pay off definitely and the community wants it because i mean think about how many young girls are growing up playing footy now and being able to see that and be exposed to that and realize that this is an opportunity for them and something that they can strive towards if they really love it and are passionate about it Absolutely. I mean, I don't know off the top of my head what the numbers are, but the participation of girls across the entire country since AFLW was started is just astronomical. Like the amount of girls that have taken up this sport is huge. And, you know, they're paying money to play. And then the parents are paying money to, you know, at the canteen or whatever it is, but there's just, there's money that is being pumped into this sport. So pump it back in. (laughs) Yeah. And the idea that like, the women don't turn enough of a profit compared to the male, the male, their male counterparts is blown out of the water by the fact that Gold Coast and GOS get paid the same wages as Richmond and Essendon. You know, like if we're talking about bums on seats and eyes on the TV, like they're not even comparable. So it's it's not a thing about, you know, which one earns more money. It's a it's a gendered decision about which one uh, has more value. And 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 I think that's you know, what, what we've seen with the amount of money that's been thrown into making sure that men's sport is always viewable during COVID for everyone's well-being. It's clear that they don't value women's sport in the same way. And that has all these run-on effects. Like I actually had no idea until I was doing a bit of background reading that a lot of these female athletes are often travelling with their children to these hubs at the moment. And when the wool gets pulled out from under them, like it did with the NRL, back in July, uh, two of the New South Wales netball teams were told that they wouldn't have to quarantine when they arrived in Victoria. So they brought their kids down to Victoria with them, then were told they'd be in hotel quarantine for two weeks with, with young children, nothing for them to do, no, you know, no other help because they have these small wages. I mean, they're part, it's not like they're like wags, you know, there's not the male equivalent of, you know what I mean? There's not stay at home parents associated with massive six figure salaries. Often both parents are working. Like, Can you talk a little bit about some of the, you know, I guess extra challenges that women face just to be athletes before COVID hits? Yes, absolutely. Um, So I was talking to Brianna Brock, who is the CEO of Women's uh, Brisbane Lions, and we were having this really good conversation about just how hard it is to be an AFLW player in a full-time job when you've just got things like washing and like because they've got a they've only given like one kit, right? And you've got to have that 
cleaned where do you find the time to do that where do you find the time to make all your meals for dinner they're not provided meals so I mean they've got to prep it they've got to bring it they aren't just going to like get fast food on the way home we're talking about elite athletes like it's so difficult and then yeah like as you mentioned if they've got families where do they have the time then to do all that domestic labor as well it it's just I mean it actually like I can't comprehend it in my brain like I'm I can't even think about having to do everything that they have to do and perform at that level like it's it's wild I had no idea the clubs didn't provide their amazing menus like I know that's a you know like that is that is actually incredible that they're doing athletes diets off their own back with another job and a part-time professional athletes job like it's crazy it's so crazy especially then when you look at like the men's leagues and the hubs and they would put all over their social media like this is what we're having for dinner every night and like just like cool cool Mm. and as you said before it's a full-time job and a part-time salary essentially so you know, in, in what other industry would that ever be okay when, you know, when it's comparable to men's and women's sports? Wouldn't. And the other thing there is that they don't have the time off period that the men's do because they've got full-time jobs so that they can live and provide for themselves and their families. So even just the men's season's about to wrap up, will they get all this time off to recover and take a break and give their bodies and their brains a bit of respite where the women's, okay, they might finish a grand final on Saturday and then they're back at work on Monday as a primary school teacher or a tradie or whatever it is. I think, I guess I was, you know, I think one of the things that's been really great about that AFLW as well, like not just on field, but off field, you know, the culture that has just immediately when the AFLW started that, you know, it was a culture that already seemed miles ahead of the AFL and, you know, just in terms of understanding, you know, kind of embracing equality, you know, sexuality, um, having an understanding of, you know, racism, gender, you know, we see at the, um, you know, there are uh, openly, you know, um, open couples within the, you know, who are dating each other within the league, you know, all of that kind of stuff is pretty awesome to see. And obviously the men's game, you know, is really far behind in terms of any of that kind of stuff. I wonder, you know, what do you think? And we kind of hear little bits here and there about how having a women's team has impacted on different things within that club. How do you think that the women's uh, players and the league can have a positive impact on, you know, what are some pretty horrible kind of cultures in the men's game? Yes, definitely by just shining a light on a lot of those issues and putting them kind of in the environment where the men's leagues and players and people that work behind the scenes as well, like administration, just have to confront it and face up to it where it might not have even been like a topic that's ever brought up before. And I think pride is probably the the biggest one because, I mean, there is just so many wonderful LGBTQI players. And then you look in the men's, or when we're talking about the AFL leagues, and then you look in the men's and there's not a single openly gay player. Like the comparison is just, it's so huge and it makes you really think even, and I think it also makes the league confront itself, but also the public and a lot of fans 
where they may never have questioned before, okay, well, why aren't there any gay or LGBTQI AFL men's players? Where now it's like a question that they're thinking about because in comparison to the women's, it's just so stark. Mm. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, we know like for the awards that, you know, some of the women who, you know, are partners come together, celebrate the award together, um, you know, they sit together, all those kind of things. And in comparison, you know, there's been times where I can think of AFL men's players taking another player as kind of a joke, you know, like, oh, look, I'm with a guy. Isn't that funny? You know, and there obviously are gay players within the AFL men's, you know, who are perhaps not open or certainly not publicly open. Mm. And, you know, just getting beyond that point of that is actually, it's not a joke. Like you could, you could, you know, to have a, a moment where, you know, two openly gay men can sit together at the Brownlow and, you know, kiss their partner and when they win the award or, you know, that, that seems like a lot a lifetime ago, but it's always seemed like that. And it just doesn't seem like there's a progression forward to allow that space to kind of grow and prosper. Yeah. One of my most hated words in the entire like Australian kind of lexicon is wag. Because mm. I mean, not only is it like super derogatory and puts women down but it also just like doesn't even account for the fact that there could be husbands or boyfriends like it's just Mm -hmm. assumed that they would only ever have a wife or a girlfriend um and I suppose it's you know that terms of not being progressive is also told by the fact that we've still got Wayne Carey and Eddie McGuire on all of these shows and commentating in these panels and discussions despite everything that is out about you know what these men have done in the past it's like and and the present as well Mm. and they still get a platform and a voice yeah which makes it like a really unsafe space to exist within like even if we did have an openly lgbtqi person in that media space i can't imagine that they would feel comfortable or welcomed or like that they could thrive you know and a lot of um in a kind of different example, like a lot of Indigenous past players, like Adam Goods doesn't want to be a part of the AFL because it's just so unsafe to be. And to kind of bring this back to um, effects on the pandemic, one thing that I think is really sad and really disappointing is that when it does come to funding, a lot of media roles were cut or money wasn't put into these kind of shows or uh, content that was starting to get lifted off the ground. So Shelley Ware, you know, she had the show The Colour of Your Jumper, which Mm. um, was just Indigenous voices around the game that was to be on every week. And that was one of the first things that got pulled because there was no funding. And that's just so disappointing because we could have, you know, the wheels were starting to turn where we could take these leagues and give them different voices and make them like safer places for the people within them, but for also the fan base and the community. And then we kind of, the pandemic just kind of brought everything back to where it was and that sucks. <laughs> there was some um, really interesting commentary from Joe Weston, who's the the head player represented in the Netball Players Association. And she was saying that one of the reasons she thinks that 
I guess, female athletes, aside from the funding issues, um, female athletes have just kind of copped it without making the same level of um, noise as male counterparts have for what they've had to go through through the pandemic is about, well, she was talking about netball and how that game really conditions its largely female playership to be incredibly obedient through the, the way the rules are imposed. And she was saying that if you look at football where talent is constantly excused and told it doesn't have to play by the rules, you think of Dustin Martin's early career or Jordan Degoe currently, you know, these, these guys, they're not held to the same standards. And I, I wonder if you could, you know, what is it going to take, you know, women like Joe Weston speaking out, you know, how do we get from this position where it is, it has been largely erased, all that momentum has been undercut. What do you think the next, you know, 12 months needs to look like to um, bring the spotlight back onto that incredible growth that was happening pre pandemic? I think that stability is probably first and foremost for the people who are who we're talking about. So the people, the the players or people in the media who want to take these risks and push these boundaries but don't feel safe to do so. Or, you know, if if they speak too much about this particular thing, whatever network they're working for will be like, don't do that. Or, you know, like we won't put money into your show if you go down that route or we won't publish this particular content. So I guess in terms of that, it comes to the decision makers and the people at the top, which is really frustrating when you look at the kind of demographic of who those people are um, and it's the same kind of faces who aren't going to push boundaries because I guess they don't see the need to um, in the same respect that other people do because they don't feel included and they want to make it a more inclusive place. So I guess to your question of how do we go about this, um, honestly, I would love to see money just like given to people to make content and just be like, we trust you, you know, like just give Shelly Ware a bunch of money and say, we trust you, make a show. Like I would love to see that because, you know, she's got integrity. She's not going to go rogue, but it's going to be this amazing, really insightful content that pushes the boundaries and give like voices that can say what they need to say um yeah that's what I would love to say and I think you know Taylor Harris is a you know player who kind of has pushed the boundaries of you know being being involved in boxing and um you know would perhaps have some of that kind of Dustin Martin type uh, spirit um that would be called in the men's game and you know she is constantly criticised, you know, in the particularly Murdoch press. And, you know, such a big deal was made about her recent, at the end of, you know, the last FOW season, about her kind of contract requests to be paid still, I think, is um, she was asking for 150000 which part of that was to be sponsorship because, you know, she's clearly one of the most marketable players in the league. And that was, that was kind of laughed at in um, even, you know, within the AFL media circles when there would be only a handful of players at each, you know, rookie listed players in the AFL men's list who would get paid that amount, uh, you know, and is also a fraction of what those journalists get paid. Um, so, yeah, I think even when the, you know, those players who are kind of pushing the boundaries there, which not to push the boundaries, I would say, in the way that um, Jordan Degoe or those people um, doing it. But actually, you know, what Taylor Harris has done, I think actually 
it's great for the game, you know, to have people who are a little bit controversial, to have kind of things that are pushing the boundaries a bit. It brings more eyes on, on the game. I agree. And I feel like, you know, if Dusty Martin was asking for what would seem like an absurd amount in the AFL, people wouldn't laugh. They'd be like, well, he's the best player, so he deserves it. And, like, mm. he's almost treated like a celebrity. Why can't Taylor Harris be treated in the same light? I mean, in terms of sponsorship, is she not doing, like, the same amount? Is she not bringing in that money? Is she not bringing more eyeballs to the game is she not bringing more people in to watch them like she's doing such a huge amount and it also just like starts a conversation about money which is we should we should be like transparent about how much these players are getting paid how much money is going where in the AFL system so yeah okay she's asking for a lot of money but let's talk about it let's break it down where's that money coming from and where else is it going it's also yeah. such a double standard, isn't it? Like when mm. Petrarca signs his new deal, everyone's excited by the level of money involved or, you know, yeah. the, the, the Murdoch press loves to publish the Forbes rich list and, you know, bankers that are giving themselves million-dollar executives and then they're happy to put on the front page that it's a crime that a construction worker takes home $150,000. Like it's all about who's making the money and, and whose interests they represent. And, yeah, I mean, Taylor Harris doesn't work any less hard than any mm. AFL player mm. and it's, you know. Yeah. It's a comment, not a question. (laughs) As you said, with someone like Dustin Martin asking for an absurd amount of money and people going, oh, he deserves it. Also, sort of, it's two sides of the same coin, maybe, but when when players do things um, that if they weren't, you know, high-end players in the league that they potentially wouldn't get away with, but their talent allows them to get away with some shocking things. Mm. you know um even you know just just socially but when someone like taylor harris then asks you know is is demanding a certain amount of money that is incomparable to what the male players get she's laughed at even though already what she's done for the league in general is to bring up these really important conversations about sexism and bullying and harassment and all of these things which are conversations that uh aren't happening nearly enough with how much it actually is going on. Yeah, and the amount of girls who look up to Taylor Harris so much and now have taken on AFLW or Aussie rules and will get into boxing and the money that they're going to spend playing these sports is going to be way higher across the board than $150,000. Money, you mentioned earlier that the pandemic has definitely highlighted where the priorities lie. Um, in terms of men's sports. And so when you think about how many industries have been so hard hit by the pandemic uh, and how much has been invested into continuing men's sports um, compared to, well, not just sports, AFL, women, AFLW, um, and how many hoops that sports women have to jump through in order to be able to continue to play. How do you consider the huge investment in men's sports compared to, say, like music or performing arts? And these industries and what does that say about where our priorities lie in society more generally? That is a really interesting question and something that I've thought a lot about because I'm a passionate, passionate sports fan. So sports has been such a light that it's continued to work, well, to go ahead during the pandemic, like men's leagues, women's leagues have taken, you know, like NRLW was postponed and the AFLW was cancelled in 2020. But the sports that have gone ahead have just given me entertainment and a lot of people community. But in the same 
regard like if we look at that compared to the way the art's being treated it's kind of really hard to reckon with because you know um the crocs and band room has a capacity of 1000 people and hasn't been allowed to be opened at the same time that 60,000 people were at the mcg 80,000 people at the mcg like how can you reconcile with that so sport has been just afforded so much more than any other industry just it seemed to have worked with the government uh, on a way that no one else has been allowed to. Um, and so that does really just paint a picture of, as a country, where our priorities lie. And I guess the people at the top making the decisions, what they see as really important to this country and important to the people of this country. And I guess that's men's sports over anything else, which is really sad and really disappointing and when it comes to community and what's got us through the pandemic, yeah, sport's one of them, but so is music, so is movies, so are books that just haven't been given any kind of affordances, funding or being allowed to go ahead in the same way that sport has. And it's really frustrating. Uh, and because I do exist in a lot of sports circles where we've clung to this, but I also have friends that aren't sports fans that have just been really, really angry and that anger is very justified. Can I make a suggestion that maybe the reason men's sport in particular gets a lot of government support is because compared to the cultural impact of women's sport or arts or music, it's far less risky to the status quo. In fact, it just reinforces what we what the status quo already suggests. So it, it kind of makes sense that they will continue to fund this uh, highly patriarchal, <clears throat> highly um, toxic masculine <clears throat> type space and not other spaces, to, to my mind. Yeah, and it kind of, for the people at the top, it's just showing what's important to them and what they think is important to everyone. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Marnie, for coming on the show today. And it was really great to be able to have a chat about sport and, um, you know, what's what's going on the, to hear a bit more about women's sport in particular, which I think is, um, yeah, it was really great to hear about some of those kind of insights there. So thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Marnie. Cheers, Marnie. Uprise Radio is brought to you every second week with your hosts, Mercedes, Jackson and James. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to catch up on any of the other episodes, you can go to 3cr.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and thanks to all of our wonderful guests that we have on the show. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.